Corinthians. And what's neat is we're going to be seeing how in the, in the scripture, you know, we oftentimes we remove it and it gets so far away and we think, wow, this is really old, uh, ancient cultures, and how is this really applying to our lives? And so we're going to be unpacking a lot. We're going to see how it applies to our lives. We're going to see where there's some differences in their culture, and, but how the truth of what Paul's saying to them still applies to us. So first, let's, let's think of the city of Corinth. How many of you like history or find yourself watching documentaries, the History Channel? How many of you at least know where the Mediterranean is? If you like geography? All right, well, you know where Italy, that, that, that boot, you know, that's sitting in the middle of the Mediterranean. If you go across from there, uh, you've got Greece. And if you've seen the movie Troy, you know, you, you saw a little bit where Athens and, and uh, Corinth. Well, Corinth is on the Mediterranean. It's up inside, just kind of across from Italy. But then there's a little... Uh, Isthmus, a fancy word, connects, and then there's this body. And so Corinth was right now, there's kind of landlocked, but it's also got a port. So Corinth was a major, important city. Now, I want you to imagine, kind of help us get an idea, let's take Las Vegas, uh, with all of its casinos and uh, just whatever you can imagine going on. Take New York City uh, being a, a economic hub and high-rises and people from all over the world, different religions and different thoughts. Take Bangkok, Thailand with all of its problems and issues that it has. And you throw those three cities together and maybe even Istanbul, with put it all together and you've got Corinth. One thing I love about Corinth is that oftentimes we'll hear people in our own society talking about the state of our culture and the state of the U.S. and Western society in general and secularization. And, and there's a sense of, oh my goodness, you know, how are we ever going to be able to survive? How is God's church going to survive with everything that's around us? Um, it's not nearly as bad as Corinth. And uh, we may get to that point, but I love that we see a clear example of God did not call us to hide from the world, but he's called us to be in the midst of it, changing it. So Corinth was a city whose history goes back to about 4,000 B.C. It's an ancient spot. There have been people there for a long time. By the 8th century B.C., it became a powerful commercial and military center. It was a strategic point for uh, land routes and sea routes. And so it was this intersecting point of commerce. It became the center of Alexander the Great's uh, Hellenic lead. So as he was establishing his empire, a lot of his military exploits were based out of here. And then over time, it began to dwindle a little bit in its, its power and influence. The city was conquered and completely destroyed by the Romans in 146 B.C. So 146 B.C., it gets razed to the ground. Then about 100 years after that, hopefully you've heard of Julius Caesar. About 44 B.C., he sees its location. This is a strategic point. And so he begins to rebuild the city, build, rebuild the walls to be a place of commerce and, and to send out armies. Because of this, Corinth is a, a mixing pot of ethnic groups and religions, all united by the core purpose of pursuing wealth. Sound similar? The greed of many in the city was only matched by their unbridled sexual pursuits. So much so, the, the temple of Aphrodite was on the highest point in the city. This is where most people worship. There were over a thousand prostitutes at any given time that could have been working out of this temple as an act of worship. I have to 
shake my head sometimes talking about people freaking out over a, a strip club in the town next door or moving over. And yes, these things are, are bad. But sometimes we allow ourselves to get fearful. We allow ourselves to get drawn in rather than realizing that God has put us where he's put us for a reason. Things could be worse. Our society does seem to get worse at times. But there isn't anything in our society that has not been a part of human nature since sin first entered this world. There isn't anything new going on in our society. There isn't anything new going on in the Middle East that hasn't existed as long as humankind has chosen to go against God's will. So we've got this place, it's like Las Vegas, Bangkok, Thailand, New York City, all mixed up in one place. So this is the place that God sends Paul to establish a church among the Gentiles. This is not, if you're, if you're thinking in terms of strategy, this does not seem like the most open place to spread the gospel. But obviously Paul had encountered a closed doors and issues and, and the, the Jews that Jesus came out of were beginning to reject him and to persecute the early Christians. So, you know, God says to Paul, hey, this is bigger than just the Jewish people. My promise is for the whole world. Get out there. Get in the world. Go. So Paul goes to, to Corinth, the greediest and most sexually immoral city in the world, to start a church. So the church in Corinth, it was started by Paul and his, his church planning team. With the help of Priscilla and Aquila, it was a husband and wife team who uh, ministered and taught disciple people together. He stayed in their house, and it was for about 18 months. He's in the middle of all of this, 18 months, and a church is established. That God's will is done. It was mostly a Gentile, non-Jewish church. People from all parts of the the Roman Empire all came to Corinth to to get wealthy, multiple languages and, and cultures all mixed together. They were very well educated compared to people of other cities and and uh, even their church compared to people in other churches. And they seem to be quite proud of this in Corinth. And that's one of the reasons why Paul is confronting them. And we, we see as we will go through Corinthians, that it appears that Paul has written them at least once before after, after leaving them, after establishing the church. And there was perhaps either some confusion or to what he was teaching or they were intentionally ignoring and trying to figure out some ways that they wanted to do things. So they write to Paul and they let him know that, that they, have, uh, they have some different ideas and conclusions that they have come to with their high wisdom and their intellect. And so you see this a little bit. The Pauls, they responded to him and said, well, we've been listening to so-and-so and, and you know, we've been thinking about it a little bit and how God's grace really works. And so we, we've got these ideas we think are maybe a little bit better than what you taught us. And so in addition to that, Paul also hears by word of mouth uh, from one of the servants uh, from one of the houses in Corinth that is a believer in a part of the church that they are arguing together. That in their wise intellect and all their new ideas, they're beginning to, to argue with one another over doctrine and over, over which leader, which preacher to follow and listen to. They're even questioning uh, Paul's authority as an apostle. They begin to split apart in places and Many are going back to living like they did before they chose to follow Christ while believing it was okay to do so. And on top of all of this, they 
were beginning to think themselves more spiritual than the other churches because of the spiritual gifts that they had received from God. They were excited. They were passionate about Christ. They were open. And so God was able to just pour out his gifts and his spirit upon them. And we'll read more about that later. So there's all these issues. So Paul is systematically addressing all these major issues in this church. These are all issues that are relevant to our modern American church, that are relevant to our lives today. So often, so as we we go through this, and we'll take a couple breaks, and we'll do some different uh, sermons along the way, and of course Easter's coming up. But I felt God just leading us to kind of go through, and why reinvent the wheel? Let's look and see how the church in Corinth was dealing with things, how God was speaking to them, and through that, God is speaking to us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother, Sosthenes. So this is the greeting, and you know, we think, well, he seems kind of arrogant here. You know, he's saying, I am Apostle Paul, called by Christ. Well, he's actually doing this very intentionally. Paul is reminding them of his calling and his authority in Christ to teach what Christ taught his disciples. Paul had his encounter, you know, he was knocked off the horse, he was blinded, he was miraculously healed. God spoke to him and called him. He spent time with the the disciples, he learned and he was going, so he's reassuring them that no, what I have told you is the real deal. And Sosthenes, he's just saying, and I got Sosthenes here with me. He's giving a shout out. Sosthenes is a name that's mentioned at least twice, and it's uh, through the epistles and Acts, and I believe it could be the same person, not totally sure. But he was a, a believer from Corinth, obviously, that they would recognize. And so that gives him that, that personal connection with them. So he's reminding them of his authority to teach. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. I love how Paul kind of works and communicates. He's not just giving a a greeting. He's not just doing the the traditional, um, from Paul, how you doing? He's being very intentional in his wording here. And he's reminding the church in in this address and the things that he's saying, he's reminding the church that they have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And sanctified is a fancy word, uh, according to Erdman's dictionary, is to be separated from common life or use. So separated from common life or a common use and dedicated in some way to the service or worship of God. So in Paul's addressing them, he's, he's reminding them, hey, You've been set apart. You've been called to no longer live a futile, useless life in this world, but you've been called and set apart for a purpose, for a reason. And you've been set apart in and through Christ. That they, along with every other follower of Christ in the world, that they are not an exception, that they have the same calling that every other believer, every other disciple has been called to. They are not better, they are not worse, but they have the exact same calling. And even uh, though they thought that they, uh, might have thought that they had a special deal going on there, that they could kind of do whatever they want, that they could reason and, and uh, their way into things, 
He was reminding them that they are called to live holy lives, which is basically living in obedience to Christ's teaching with a divine purpose and a Christ-honoring purpose in their life. In the same way, we constantly should allow ourselves to be reminded by the Holy Spirit, by God's Word and one another of our design, position, and purpose. Oftentimes, we, uh, we see one of the reason he's addressing these issues is they forgot their purpose. They forgot uh, what they've been called to. And so it's so important for us to allow ourselves to be reminded, to intentionally remind ourselves through God's Word and the Holy Spirit and with one another even to encourage one another that we have a purpose, that we have a goal, we have a calling that God has called us to. That we as individuals are part of the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And that Christ cleansed us from our sins so we could live holy lives full of purpose. His purpose. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through 8. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. Sometimes we forget that part. The bride has prepared herself. We have an active role in preparing ourselves. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. You see in in John's revelation there of Christ, the purpose and the intent of God for his church. Many of the Christians in Corinth, just like many of us now in our own time and culture, we have professed ourselves the bride of Christ as part of the body of Christ. We have professed ourselves to be part of something that is to be pure and, and holy. And while pretending to, to be wearing white linen or that white dress, as we have it for an analogy, but instead, spiritually, we're actually prostituting ourselves out in worship to false gods of, of greed and lust. So Paul is reminding them of their calling to be holy, that they're not called to be like the, the, the temple worshipers of, of Aphrodite. They're not called to, to be a part of the world that is around them, but they're called to be something separate and different. Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He then affirms them as still his brothers and sisters in Christ. I love Paul. Paul's very direct. He's... he's kind of hits the nail on the head each time, but at the same time, he's very careful to let them know he hasn't thrown them away. He hasn't given up on them. So he's letting them know that they are still his brothers and sisters in Christ. He gives thanks for them and thanks that God has poured out his Holy Spirit and his giftings upon them. Paul, you know, recognizes what God has done in them. And he continues to give thanks here in verse four. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge. 
God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul is giving thanks for what God has done within, within them. He's reminding them of what God has done and and he's giving thanks and recognizing that God has spiritual gifts functioning within them. You know, one of the amazing things, I don't know why God does this, but sometimes in our life, God gives us certain giftings and abilities, and, and God works within our lives, and we can even get off kilter, we can get off track, we can even begin functioning outside, but for whatever reason, God's, what he's done with us sticks there, and it's there. And it's kind of a scary thing, actually, because... Uh, as we'll see in Corinthians, they're like, well, look what God did, so we must be special, we must be chosen, and we can do whatever we want. It's so important to realize that they're gifts from God. They're blessings. It's not something we've earned. It's not because we are better or more spiritual than any other believer. And that perhaps because God has given us certain gifts, because he has blessed us spiritually or in different ways, Perhaps we should take all the more care with it. So Paul is reminding them that God God has done in them, that God had placed every spiritual gift that they would need to fulfill his purpose, that they would need to remain alive in him despite the death and the chaos of the world around them. Paul was gently taking away their excuses for having given in to pride, greed, and immorality. He's kind of setting the stage for the things that he's about to address. He's reminding them that, that God has been faithful and that it is in Christ and the fulfillment of Christ's promises in their lives and the church that God's faithfulness has been revealed. It's Paul's way of reminding them that God has not only called them to be faithful to Christ and Christ's teaching, but that he's reminding them of God's faithfulness because it is because of God's faithfulness and his devotion to us through the cross that he has earned our faithfulness. He's earned the right to to require us to be faithful to him. So as we go through Corinthians, we're just going to go through in sections. A lot of times we try to go chapter by chapter, but the Bible's actually split up in different themes. And so as we look through that introduction, Paul's packed a lot into this little introduction. And so I want us to, right now, just take a look, something we can take away and to remind ourselves, this morning is a reminder to us of things that we need to be reminded of as we move forward in our faith and as we move forward in our studies. So number one, as we look at uh, this first part of Corinthians, we see that we need to be reminded that it is in, for, and through Christ that we are to live out a divine purpose. We're to be reminded we have a purpose. We have a divine purpose. And that purpose is only in Christ. That purpose is for Christ. And that purpose is fulfilled through Christ. Something we need to daily remind ourselves. Number two, we need to be reminded that part of that purpose is that we are called to live holy lives. Lives not ruled by our sin. Matthew 1, 21 says... 
and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus meaning the Lord saves. Jesus didn't suffer and die to save us from hell. Jesus didn't suffer and die to save us from hell. Jesus suffered, Jesus suffered and died to save us from our sins. The very things that earned us a place in hell. Puts in a little different perspective. We, a lot of times we lose sight of that. And we, even in our word, we say, you know, well, I've been saved. I'm not going to hell. That's not what it's about. God was saving us. He was pulling us out of the very lives and the very things that put us there. You can take someone out of hell, but unless you take the sin out of them, they're going to fall right back into it. So why, if Jesus pulls us out of the filth and death of this world, are we so arrogant sometimes to think that we can reason with God as to why it's okay for us, why it's okay for ourselves to fall back into the same darkness, filth, and despair that he pulled us out of? There's many different reasons for that before we go on the next one. Sometimes it's a, it's a comfort issue. Sometimes we were, the things that we did, they were a part of us, they were part of what we did, and we, you know, I, we're lying if we say we didn't enjoy it. I guarantee you the people in Corinth were having a great time. They were partying, they were having a great time. Until diseases set in. Until lives and families were broken until they realized their money was gone they were dying alone constantly trying to do more and more and Corinth constantly offering more and more and more and as they were doing more and more and gathering more and more only feeling emptier and emptier we need to remind ourselves sometimes of what we came out of so we see why we are where we are and why we need to work to continue on in the things that God has called us to. And I want us to be careful. Sometimes, I know for myself growing up, anytime I heard the word holiness or to live holy, I'd kind of get a little shiver up the spine. Anytime I started hearing the word holiness, I would, I would start immediately in my mind getting pictures of very self-righteous people and certain clothing, almost, you know, and Maybe there's one, no, no, no offense if you love beehive hairdos and long denim skirts and, and uh, you don't wear makeup or anything like that. Or um, I call the Ned Flanders Christians, you know, everyone, they, you can see them, you can pick them out. It's like there's a uniform they, they give them when they come off the assembly line. Um, and anytime I hear the word holiness for myself, a lot of times I would struggle and I would start to get this image of, of a, a rule book and, and uh, this, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. And sometimes they would be ridiculous. And then what I would do is, because of that, I'd end up throwing out the whole concept of holiness and just kind of disregarding it. And, and, you know, I didn't go off any deep end or anything, but I believe as part of God's church, we need to, holiness is what we are called to. To be set apart. Not to hide ourselves away from the world. Not to act all embarrassed and and freak out when we see the world doing what we know the world does because we were in the world, we did it ourselves, and if we're honest, if we weren't following Christ, we would want to do it and be a part of it. If we're honest with ourselves, uh, we, we, we want to do the things that the world does. But that's not what Christ has called us to do. We, we want to be self-destructive. We, we, part of the human nature is sadistic. 
I'm sorry, masochistic. Sadistic too, actually. I mean, we have both in there. Talked about my own pursuits. I saw like, whoa, that's a cool drop off the side of this mountain. It was with a group of people. We're walking up along this ridge and, you know, there was this goat trail on this side and we're walking on the, the ledge and it was pretty wide. But then there was a steep drop off on the other side. I'm like, that looks like a lot of fun. And, you know, and I thought, well, it's not that bad. I can get down. So I went down all these loose stones, and then I got to a second part where now I can no longer climb back up, and it's sheer, smooth rock, nothing to grab. But it's a steep angle, and I started to go down it. Almost got myself in a lot of trouble. So with some friends, we were camping, and it decided to be a great idea to do some cliff jumping. And, and of course, I, I knew it was kind of a stupid idea, and... The others really wanted to do it, but then they were chicken and didn't want to go until someone else went in first and tested the water, so to speak, make sure it was deep enough. And, and me and my pride and arrogance decided, well, even though I know it's a dumb idea, I'm going to show them up, and, and I, I jumped in the water. And I say that because there's a lot of times we, there's things that we, we want to do, and we know they're stupid, but we still want to do them. Now, jumping off cliffs and, and, and mountain climbing, that's not sinful, uh, you know, but, but be careful, be responsible, be safe. But I say that, that there's, there's things in life, there's things in our society and our culture all around us that, are, that is enticing. That we still have the human nature that it draws us and pulls us. But sometimes we, we're, we get so fixated on, on what, you know, we, we sometimes we have a hard time... Uh, dealing with concepts, or, and we, we want things very spelled out, black and white, and the Bible is very clear in the black and white and the red letters, depending on the, the version you've got, that there are certain things that are very clear, that Jesus says, this is sin, this is not my intent for humanity, this is not my intent for creation, and if we, we look at it more deeply, we see the reason behind it is it breaks apart, it destroys, it corrupts. It brings pain. It brings suffering. We know that lying is bad. We're to be honest. We're to be people of integrity. We know that sexual immorality, and some people say, well, there's, Jesus only said sexual immorality. He didn't list all these specifics. No, it's listed before in the Old Testament. When Jesus says sexual immorality, there's a list of those things already in there. Things of that nature are very black and white. They're very clear. But we, anytime we hear holiness, and we, we, I want us to be very careful that we don't just fixate on those. Because oftentimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm pretty holy. You know, I, I haven't committed adultery. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm pretty quick to give my thoughts to Jesus. And, and uh, you know, I haven't lied to anyone recently. You know, maybe, maybe I lied to my personal trainer about, you know, what I ate this week. Uh, but that's okay. But we forget that there's other things. Greed, selfishness, gossip. Slander. Gossip is one of, those, one of the sins in the church that ran rapid in Corinth. It was destroying them. It was ripping them apart. It was ripping them apart more than the guy who was, who was uh, having an affair with his dad's wife. And so we forget sometimes that gossip is just as destructive as the big sins that we, we think of. So I want us to think in terms of, of holiness, not just to have a pet list of things that means to be holy. 
And also be very careful that when we think of holiness, we're not adding and throwing in things that Christ didn't throw or add in. That we're careful that, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and sometimes he gives us boundaries, he gives us guards, because sometimes each of us struggle with a little bit different things. And so God will give us personal convictions. He'll give us sometimes individual boundaries, and he'll say, hey, I I know that this is okay for some people, but don't, you know, don't go there. If somebody's struggled in the past with the occult, and they're, God may tell you not to go to certain places or to watch certain movies or, or do different things. Oh, bam, don't do it. But don't put it on other people. We must be very careful when we, it's one reason why it's so important to know God's word, to know his purpose, and so that we are living set apart, but we're being set apart his way. And we're not setting ourselves apart in our own way. Third thing we need to remind ourselves of. So the second was we're called to live holy lives. Lives not ruled by our sin. So the third thing, God has, be reminded that God has promised us everything we need to live holy and fulfill our purpose in him. He's given us everything we need. He's promised us everything we need to accomplish this. I imagine when the, the Corinthians were, it's probably one of the reasons why God did pour out his gifts to them so quickly is they were in the middle of Corinth, for crying out loud, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the, the giftings of the Holy Spirit working within his body, how are they going to encourage and grow and, and stand against everything that's being offered and thrown at them? Everything that they've come out of. To be reminded that God has promised us everything we need. That God has given these tools and giftings to his body, to his church, and that we simply need to receive them and use them as the Holy Spirit gives and directs us. If we're not allowing God to work in our lives, if we're not using the giftings he's given us, it hinders the body of Christ. It even hinders our own ability to to be set apart and to, to pursue the purpose that God has for us. Fourth thing we need to remind ourselves is that God is faithful even when we haven't been. One of the themes of Paul's introduction he's preparing the Corinthians for. He's addressing them. You have, he's telling them you haven't been faithful. He's using this analogy of the, of the bride and, and, and I imagine, you know, as, he's, as they're reading this, they're, you know, thinking of the prostitutes up on this hill and like, oh my goodness, that's us. So the Holy Spirit was bringing conviction. But that God was faithful even when we haven't been and that he is always waiting to clean us up, to remove the rags of our sin and shame and to reclothe us with his holiness. We see that, that imagery in, in Revelation. Too often times we... We, we know we're messing up. We know we're stepping outside of God's will. We know that, you know, we, we've come out of Corinth, so to speak, in our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes we then allow the voices of the enemy, the voices of this world, sometimes of other believers to say, you know what, you're not good enough. 
you've screwed up too much, you're too damaged, you're too far gone. But Paul's reminding them that that's not the case, that God is faithful. That even when we haven't been, He is faithful. And, and even though we have fallen off to the wayside, that He will pick us up and put us back on track. And there's a fresh new start. And no sooner and no easier than it is for us to, to walk away from God, even quicker will He pick us up when we call on Him and bring us back to where He's called us to be. And give us that new start and to wrap us in that, that holiness. And when the voices of the world or sometimes even the voices sitting within the, the pews or chairs next to us begin to speak, God's voice, and He puts His hand out, He says, No. This is my bride. I've cleansed her. She's spotless. Don't you dare say anything bad about her. And we need to realize that God is faithful and that he has set us free and that because of his faithfulness, why wouldn't we want to show love and devotion to him? Why wouldn't we want to allow ourselves to to be corrected and allow God's word to speak into our lives? We just need to humble ourselves and ask him. So we'll be going on through Corinthians in the next few weeks to come and looking at more detail Paul's teachings and the practice of living out their faith and answering very specific questions that apply to us today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that you have called us that you've given us a purpose. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And as we will continue to read and see with the Corinthians, even though they have wandered away, even though they've gotten things screwed up, and we know we all do in our own lives, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that you love us, and that all we have to do is turn to you, humble ourselves, and you give us new beginnings. Lord, I just pray to each and every one of us and to every believer in this community, Father, even, that you would just remind us of the things that you've called us to. And may we not live and serve you according to our own arrogant ideas and philosophies, but Lord, may we be humble and so cautious to follow your word, not to add or to take away from it, but to simply listen and obey the things you've revealed through your word, the things that you're speaking to us, Father, through your spirit. Lord, we ask this, and may you be glorified in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.